This week's Behind the Idea looks at Match Group as a long idea, and the story is all about its star property, Tinder. Mike talks about whether Tinder is meant to show that love is the cure. I think that they may actually be more of the pharmaceutical business model of drawing out your experience with the condition of dating and maximizing the lifetime value than they are of curing you of your need to date. I then consider the significance of Match's December special dividend. They're keeping their options on the table, essentially, and that's a positive for... That's the sort of company I want to be investing in is the one that has those options and that is smart enough to not lock themselves in. Value and GARP investors have been matching with Tinder and Match Group since the company spun off. Is there more life to this growth story, or should investors keep seeing other stocks? We discuss on this week's Behind the Idea. Welcome to Behind the Idea, the podcast that looks at what makes great investment analysis work. I'm Daniel Schwartzman. And I'm Mike Taylor. We're kicking off Behind the Idea in 2019 with a look at a tech company that is also something of a value investor favorite, Match Group, ticker symbol MTCH. Seeking Alpha author Detroit Bear recently wrote, buy match on strong competitive position driven by Tinder. Tinder is the famous dating app that has swiped the nation. Whether it's because investors are lonely or just really talented at playing the field, the Tinder match thesis pops up a lot on Seeking Alpha and other investing sites. Is this a good fit for investors' profiles, or should they swipe left and move on to the next idea? We're going to have a look at the key components of this thesis and the qualities of the investment case. That's right, we're actually using Tinder to go in-depth on a topic rather than judge by the surface. Before we get started, Behind the Idea is a podcast that looks at investment ideas from the Seeking Alpha ecosystem to see what makes great investment analysis work. None of this is meant as investment advice of any sort. I have no positions in any stocks that we anticipate talking about. Mike has a quick disclosure. Mike, do you want to share your disclosure? Yeah, uh, Yeah, I also have no positions in Match. I also worked for Tinder CEO Ellie Seidman about 10 years ago when he was running a luxury hotel review startup called Oyster.com. So take that as you will. Have a previous relationship with the Tinder CEO. Professional relationship. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So so the first thing that I want to talk about, and it was a little bit of a surprise to me that Tinder matches whole business essentially is subscriptions. I, I sort of on the surface thought that subscriptions was a part and a growing part, but it's, it's basically their business. And Detroit Bear talks about how Tinder grew subscribers 61% year over year over the first nine months of 2018. And they have over 4 million paid subscribers. And so I, I wanted to start with us unpacking this sort of subscription model. This is the company's main business. How how durable is this? What do you make of the the fact that subscriptions is what's driving this and that Tinder is the main driver of that subscription revenue? Yeah, I hadn't thought about Tinder very much and had sort of assumed that 
it was still in the kind of social network growth phase where it was just trying to attract new users and sort of create a network of users altogether. I had not realized that Tinder was now monetizing and that they had found this subscription model. And I think just from a qualitative perspective, you can see the value there. The real value proposition that Tinder provides, I think, is just that it reduces the cost and pain of searching for companionship, dates, romance, casual hookups, whatever. It makes it very easy. But even the primary user interface of Tinder doesn't eliminate all the pain points. And what they seem to have done a nice job at from a product perspective is find some upsell opportunities where, you know, if you swipe left on someone and sort of discard someone, but then you have regrets about that because you actually thought that they were attractive and you accidentally swiped the wrong way. Tinder upsells you with the opportunity to go back and revise those decisions and reduce your regret. And the overall interface is just a very rapid fire kind of quick hit experience. And I think that this subscription product upsell does a nice job of helping you sort of categorize and organize your dating life a little bit better within the app. So my overall just general assessment of this as a strategic move, it makes a lot of sense to me. And I think that Detroit Bear does a nice job of sort of showing how Tinder is succeeding in converting these subscribers. What do you think? What you're getting at is that this, and this is, there's some interesting idea here in that Tinder's app is sort of so fluid that you need a subscription helps you get through it easier because then there's two self-fulfilling things. On the one hand, a dating network is really as powerful as the members in the network. It's more, even more obvious than Facebook or something. If you're looking to date, you're probably looking to open up to choices. At the same time, you only, well, whatever, but you, you sort of only need one match or you, you're out. We can set well, aside depends, some cultural right? things. For, right. Yeah. <laughs> I, I didn't want to overstate that, but. You also don't want to get crowded too much. And if it's too too fluid, all of a sudden you need to sort through it, right? You all of a sudden need to find who is the person that you want to match with. And if you're just getting, you know, endless sort of people that you have to keep swiping past to get to what you want, that's distracting. So I think in, in that sense that what's nice about the subscription model is it is a natural outgrowth of continued user growth. As you continue to add more users, the subscription becomes more powerful as a way to reduce back down or to make it easier to filter through all those users. Yeah. But the the thing that I thought was interesting about the, that the article didn't touch on and that just very quickly control effing through their different filings, their most recent 10Q and their most recent 10K, I don't see them talk about retention. I don't see them talking about churn. I don't see them talking about cost of acquisition or sort of those elements that I've at least come to 
automatically be thinking about when I look at a subscription business model. And I don't know what that means because they're obviously growing subscriptions fine. They're growing their average revenue per user. Uh, Detroit Bears sites 24% year over year. So it's not and, – and so then the author implicitly says there are low acquisition costs. So I don't know if those are broken out. I, marketing spend doesn't look crazy. I guess you can measure marketing spend. But I guess the retention one is really interesting to me because, again – some people may just be looking to date, to hook up, whatever else. And so maybe they'll be in the field forever. But in theory, I think a dating app is meant – dating is not easy. It's not easy to find a person in the world that you want to spend time with or persons. And this is supposed to get you out of that. And in theory, you you want to spend less time. Like this is this is sort of like – a biotech is supposed to be solving, supposed to be curing your disease, not perpetuating it. And I would think a dating app sort of similar. And so I wonder if your model is a subscription model, but the end goal is like, you can't, you can't transition me. I mean, they could buy Ashley Madison and transition me into a different <laughs> dating app after marriage. But like, you know what I mean? It seems like there's an, there's a, maybe this is, years in the future but i just was wondering about that when i think about yeah. this is a subscription model. let me ask i want to answer uh i think there are a number of subscription businesses that capture people at just a certain point in time in their life and that first of all all subscription businesses have a point at which the customer churns out and whether that cycle is after a year or after 20 years or after six months, the point isn't to just keep someone in your system for the entire time. The point is to make sure that you're maximizing the value of the person over the lifetime of their subscription. So churn is a meaningful component of any subscription model, and that certainly would apply to Tinder but I'm not sure that the mere fact of churn is as important as whether, you know, the acquisition cost is lower than the lifetime value of the subscriber. In terms of, you mentioned sort of Tinder's aimed at solving the dating problem. I don't think that it's necessarily positioned that way. Just I was I downloaded Tinder with my wife's permission to do research for this podcast, and I just used the app for a while. And I came across, you know, you and I, Daniel, we're in our 30s and we're married, so we're kind of not the target customer here. True. A lot of people are in their 20s to 30s, or at least that's the kind of users that I was presented with as potential dates, and. You can just look on your profiles and you can probably remember back, Daniel, to a time in your life where you weren't really interested necessarily in exiting the dating pool. You're interested in kind of splashing around in there and seeing what happens. And I think that's, that's a decade, that's a potentially a decade long for a lot of Tinder users throughout your college years, extending all the way into your mid to late 20s. That's a good decade where a substantial portion of people 
would continue to benefit from using the app because they're not looking for a permanent companionship. They're just looking to explore the world. And Tinder meets that need probably better than it meets the need of trying to get people to completely solve for the rest of their life the problem of dating and companionship. So those two things together, one, the fact that all subscription business models have churn, and two, that the potential time in the system of a Tinder subscriber could be fairly substantial. It could be five or 10 years, depending on the type of person. I wouldn't be so deeply concerned about that. I think that they may actually be more of the pharmaceutical business model of drawing out your experience with the condition of dating and maximizing the lifetime value than they are of curing you of your need to date. There's a couple. First, I don't think I need to get into I did not have the richest dating career anyhow, so I don't I wish I wish I could well, I don't know if I wish, but I don't know if I could reflect on years, let alone a decade of splashing. <laughs> I will tell you, as I was swiping right and left through the dating app, I sort of felt a little bit like, wow, this would have really made things a lot easier. It really does I mean, I'm not exactly eligible and I certainly, I got only one match through the like hundreds of people that I swiped and uh, Mm -hmm. I put in my profile that I'm married and I'm just on the app to see how it works. So I I got the match and then I said, hi, thanks for matching with me. And the person didn't answer. Why do I bring that up? I bring that up because it works. It works. It's effective in taking out the sort of emotional pain of looking for someone. All you have to do is swipe. So it is a tremendously effective tool. And even people like you and me who've been out of the dating pool for a very long time could definitely just, I can just appreciate that it's this very usable. Detroit Bear mentions that it's also addictive. There is something like serotonin rush to just seeing person after person who's sort of presenting themselves as a potential date or a potential partner to you. And so there's a lot about the app and the interface that works very effectively. And not all of it works to solve the dating problem, but a lot of it works to make that process more enjoyable for people than what you or I probably experienced when we were trying you know, in college or in life to go out and meet people in bars or however people used to do it before this app came along. One thing I, I don't think they do, but you would sort of, it would be fun to imagine is given that we're, we're speaking about Tinder because that is the growth driver for Match, but they have OkCupid, they have Match.com, they have Hinge, or, or they have some equity in Hinge, they have plenty of fish, like they've got Lots of different dating and coupling acts of one sort or another. And you could almost imagine them using that portfolio to then say, all right, you're done with Tinder. Time to go over to OkCupid or whatever. Um, don't, I, I doubt they actually do that. But just the other thing I was thinking about, you know, I have friends who've used 
a lot of whom are still in their 30s. And so their use case is maybe that's where I was coming from. That There's sort of a bit of fatigue over the dating market at that point. But uh, my younger brother uses it from time to time. And he was visiting me in Spain and managed to swipe to meet somebody. And, you know, they just met for, I think they went to the market or something. But the point is that you almost wonder, especially with people of a generation or half a generation younger than us, if just as a way to meet people, like ignore, I I know that the whole point of Tinder is usually to do more than just say hello, but it's a, it's a very sort of, in a way that Facebook and other social networks aren't really, it's, it's almost like the old AOL instant messenger chat rooms where you just swipe until you match and they say, Hey, I happen to be in town. Would you like to get a drink? Like there's something, I don't know. It, it doesn't matter, I think, for the investment case, but I'm just, as you say that. Um, well, I think it does go back to, it does go back to the investment case a little bit because as you mentioned, the more people who get on this app, the more different intended uses are there going to be. And that goes back to this idea of the subscription model as being uh, an effective filtration mechanism like you talked about. There are also, they've added some functionality that I don't quite understand how it works. You can super like someone and do some other actions that don't necessarily seem to result in a match. But potentially, if you're a subscriber, it gives you more information and feedback about uh, using the app in a way that's best suited to your needs and intentions. There was also an article in, I think it was the New York Times, maybe the Wall Street Journal, that specifically mentioned people using traveling to a new place and using Tinder just to find cool places to go. They would just match with mm-hmm. people and then have the person sort of help them get oriented in a new town. And that would be another use case for the subscription model, because if you actually want dates and you want to hook up or you want romance and you've got people on the app who are just looking for basically geographic information, you really are going to want to filter those people out and have a better experience. And potentially that's another way that Tinder can leverage its organic general population user growth into a stronger value proposition for the subscription model. So I think that your point about people using Tinder in different ways, as long as it doesn't become overwhelmingly a bad experience, can actually help the subscription growth story. That's really interesting. I want to steer to the the next thing that sort of stood out to me, and there actually may not be a lot to say about it, but just on the travel theme is that Detroit Bear mentions international growth as sort of the major opportunity. They're almost half of their business is already international, 46% of their direct revenue in the first nine months of 2018. Average revenue per user is almost the same international as domestic. It's 59 cents per user domestic 55 cents international. So not a ton of upside in terms of that. And I guess I this may be a short topic because at this point we should be a little bit inured to the fact that Facebook spread easily and that other US technologies spread easily across the globe. But something as specific as dating, it's interesting to me that Tinder 
would continue to just sort of not sell like hotcakes, but add users like hotcakes and continue to be just this really attractive new platform to meet people overriding any local networks, any local connections. I don't know. I just thought that was, I guess it's natural for international to be the next big thing for a lot of companies. I, I just, did, did that stand out to you at all? Did you find anything remarkable about the fact that international was a big part of their growth plan? Yeah, I found it a little bit surprising. I guess going back just to sort of domestic in North America, because I think that's where we would expect them to be a little bit more mature. I just did some basic like back of the envelope stuff. And, you know, 2010 census had the U.S. population of people 18 to 40 as 110 million. So let's just use that as a ballpark figure and then adjust it upwards to include Canada and Mexico. Let's just call it 150 million of the total addressable market for North America. If we assume that Tinder has 57 million global users applying the same proportion of revenues to users, and we get about 33 million North America users, that's a 20% market penetration for Tinder. And it seems like there are some edges where you're not going to get everyone but it seems like there would be room to continue to penetrate in the North America region. I don't know what would be a reasonable penetration rate, but there isn't a ton of dating app competition. And certainly Tinder and Hinge are very top of mind when it comes to what you think about for apps. But it seems like easily... 30% total market penetration seems possible here. So it seems like 50% growth just on that lever alone seems possible. So I think there's at least an argument here that in terms of even just casual use market penetration, that they're nowhere near saturated. And I think that that would probably, without having done any sort of calculations on it, the international growth story would be even more attractive. Of course, that's me saying that without really knowing whether there are international competitors who would have some kind of local advantage. But I think ultimately people want to meet each other. It's a basic human need. Tinder's gotten very good at it, at meeting that need. So it's not shocking to me that there's more headroom internationally. But overall, I think that there's just a strong case to be made that there's a lot of just organic growth opportunity in front of the company in general. That's my gut reaction. I don't know what, like the, we don't, maybe the, the last topic will get us to the moat a little bit, but can you roll up the dating market? Can you, I match Match group is actually sort of a roll up of dating and that not that they not in the sense their balance sheet is more is not a roll ups balance sheet. They're printing real earnings. I'm not trying to make any aspersions that way, but it's sort of this. Can we be the place where you where you come to date? 
the big threat posed to match supposedly this year was going to be Facebook coming out with dating dating things. And that was, I think, you see a lot of headlines on Seeking Alpha in May about that. And Facebook was, it looked like they might be bouncing back after the initial issues they had last year. And then their year continued to kind of struggle. And their reputation is such that dating may not be where you want may not be where Facebook can best serve people. But yeah, I don't know. I guess that's that's part of the question, I guess, is it seems like we're establishing that as part of globalization or just learning from globalization that people really aren't all that different once you give them access to basic modern amenities like a smartphone, in this case, the big one. And so then it just becomes who's fastest to move, who's smartest, who's got the most people on board. And maybe it is at that point, if you're coming from a U.S. background, whether it's Silicon Valley or somewhere else, and you have the chops, you have the experience, you've already developed a really addictive tool, maybe that's just makes it. And at the same time, this isn't, you're not disrupting local stores you're not disrupting homegrown businesses per se it's not quite the same as other startups moving into a space this is a relatively you're disrupting you know grandmothers trying to match you with somebody like nobody's really missing out on that so i don't know it's just right there's less of a chance of a populist backlash against it because there aren't incumbent businesses that are, yeah, there are not that we can think of anyway. Before we move further, we wanted to let you know about Seeking Alpha Essential. Did you know that Match has been a popular pick among investors for some time? It's true. Whether it's the salience of Tinder, the fact that Match was a spinoff from IAC, or that some people like the idea of spinning off Tinder now, The stock has always been sexy with value or GARP investors. 12 authors wrote long ideas about Match in 2018, including our boy Detroit Bear, while another three authors wrote bearish pieces. There's a total of 632 comments on these articles. If you're new to the story or looking to see what other investors are saying, or just to make sure you're not making the same mistakes someone else made, Those articles can help you get up to speed without digging through the entire internet. And no one likes digging through the entire internet. And those articles are now exclusive to Seeking Alpha Essential subscribers. If you're looking to do more research on a new investment idea like Match, Essential will save you time and get you caught up to speed on the discussion so you know where to go next. Essential brings you from the dark into the no. Go to seekingalpha.com slash essential if you'd like to sign up for a free trial to see how it can help you invest better. Seeking Alpha Essential. It's awesome. Okay, so let's get into the capital allocation strategy, Daniel. Detroit Bear sort of brings this up as a proprietary model for IAC in terms of having a kind of know-how for launching and growing media properties in general. And 
the main thrust of the argument there is that this specific framework that IAC has has transferred over to Match now that it's spun off from the company. What do we think of this discussion of the capital allocation strategy for Match? I don't know. I thought the only thing that stood out to me as interesting, especially as we've entered a more volatile period with the markets, is the fact that capital return ranks before debt pay down. Otherwise, I think this is a pretty, I don't think it's all that proprietary. I think it's common for companies to at least say they're going to focus on organic opportunities. Let's just quickly say what the capital allocation strategy is. So basically, it's ranked in terms of priority. And first in priority is to allocate towards organic growth. Second is to allocate towards M&A, which we talked a little bit about I, uh, match being a bit of a roll-up. Then capital return is third. And then fourth, debt pay down is the last priority. So organic growth first, M&A second, capital return third, and debt pay down fourth. And so right. you were saying that it's just maybe not that proprietary a thing. I kind of went, so what, when I read this but maybe we can figure out what the deal is here. I think it's, yeah, it's, I don't know why this would come into the thesis. They had a $2 per share special dividend, which is, I think somewhat unique in the sense that they are still somewhat of a growing company and they're, they are, you're right to have mentioned media because IAC, they're, their former parent, and I think still the owner of 80% of their shares or something, is Interactive Corp. They're a media company. They're an online web conglomerate. And yeah, so I, I think that's unusual to give that shit, that $2 per share special dividend. But I, I, yeah, I don't know how much... I, I think it, that may be why the author had to bring this in was as a way to defend the special dividend case to, to essentially say like, look, they had the cash, their debt situation is more or less fine, which their debt is reasonable. They have $850 million in net debt. Once you take out the cash, their market cap is 11 and a half billion. Their book value is 650 million. They have a reasonable, I'm, I didn't look at what sort of interest they're paying, but I would imagine they've locked in relatively low rates. And so, yeah, I, I think that it came up as a defensive point, as a refutation of a common bearish comment, which is that they don't have a lot of opportunities. I guess that's where I think it fits into the thesis. What about you? Yeah, I just didn't think it was super proprietary as a thing. I What's... Duck out to me, I didn't catch the special dividend piece that you just mentioned, but I did notice looking at the balance sheet over the past four or five years that the company has just gotten increasingly liquid over time in terms of current assets continuing to increase as a proportion of total assets. And I really thought just at a glance that that seemed like a very attractive property for a business of this type. And it's what you would hope to see for a growing sort of cash generative subscription-based business that over time, the company is going to more and more easily accrue 
sort of cash and short-term investments and receivables relative to the total invested capital base. And so I like that. And I think when a company is in this kind of position that Match seems to be in, which is it's generating a potential increasing revenue growth, whereas SG&A expense stays relatively flat, capital expenditures aren't that great, they've sort of already built the app, then you have this, you're in a nice position to pursue this type of capital allocation strategy. With relatively limited debt, they're not in a position to be forced to make any kind of specific capital allocation decisions. And so maybe that's my takeaway is more the company is sort of in a position where it's generating a lot of cash from operations and therefore in a position to to make this decision and prioritize these initiatives as it sees fit. We've seen a lot of companies where debt payback might be a, a substantial issue for the company or in the case of some other more mature businesses, the the question of whether to return capital to shareholders or pursue in, incremental growth wasn't so clear. I think that Match is in a position now where it sort of makes sense to look at each of these and the prioritization makes sense. As I said before, I think that there is a reason to believe that the market is not totally pen- penetrated or saturated in North America or internationally. So you have growth there. M&A does seem to make sense to me in terms of if you position this company as a core competency of connecting people romantically, then it does make sense to sort of expand and capture the market via M&A and just fold people into your core experience. And then capital return and debt pay down. It makes sense that those would be lower priorities when you do see some opportunities to grow here. So what what do you think about the the special dividend as an indicator of anything? They've they've issued two dollars, so two dollars out of forty, let's say. So good, bad. What do you think about that? I probably am not in a position to say one way or another since you know we only have sort of a limited amount to go on here but how would i picture this going i it's fine i think you know i think looking at that balance sheet and just looking at the way that liquid assets have just continued to incrementally grow over time relative to the entire asset base suggests to me that the company is in a strong position and capital return to shareholders isn't totally wild, you know, if they are at a kind of free cash flow yield in the 4% range, uh, an occasional dividend doesn't seem to be a signal of maturing business necessarily. Although I think that's maybe what you're getting at. That's the first thing that would come to mind is, you know, when a company declares a dividend, it's a signal that the growth opportunities are sort of not as great as they otherwise could be, but I don't necessarily see that as a huge problem here. I think the big challenge for Match is to figure out 
how to deliver on its growth prospects, the market seems to be assigning it a relatively strong growth opportunity going forward, although not overly generous, maybe relative to the rest of the stock market. But that would be my concern. I don't think that it's a signal, though, that this is a company that's going to be primarily focused on delivering dividends to investors. That's not the picture I'm getting from what Detroit Bear says, and that's not how I read the 10Q. It seems like the company is focused on developing Tinder and growing Tinder organically primarily. So I'm not seeing that as like flag of the business is suddenly super mature. Well, and I I guess that's the way you put it makes me think what I was starting to think about with the debt pay down, which is, is that it's the outcome of a strong position. It's the outcome of a position where, and it's a smart one because you're still keeping your eyes open for organic opportunities for potentially acquiring or whatever else to, to grow your business. But your debt balance sheet is okay, so you don't have to panic about debt pay down. You don't want to lock yourself in to regular dividends and to that expectation and to having to pay that off quarter after quarter after quarter. As a shareholder, to me, the special dividend, like thinking through it as a yield opportunity would only make sense if we were, if I were to be able to expect another one. But as a sign of, okay, they're doing well enough that they can afford to do this. Their balance sheet is probably still going to be fine after that. And yeah, I don't know. I, I guess that's where I I didn't know what to think of it. But hearing what you're saying, they're keeping their options on the table, essentially. And that's a positive for that's the sort of company I want to be invested in is the one that has those options and yeah. that is smart enough to not lock themselves in. Yeah. I took a quick look at the cash flow statement as aggregated on Seeking Alpha and the cash flow from operations seem to be growing in a positive direction. Free cash flow seems to have steadily risen over the past several years. I think if you have that situation, I mean, total assets, I think we're growing some, but it looks like a healthy situation. And I think that, like you said, the options, having options available to you is an attractive position to be in, especially when you're running this kind of subscription software-based type of model. Where does that leave us in terms of not coming to a conclusion? Well, the the only other note I had had on here was, and you sort of, you already smacked this down, but is there any chance that Tinder, that this sort of, let, let me caricature it for a second to try to spell out the point. Is there a chance that the shallowness of judging people solely based on their looks that the lack of actual human interaction that goes beforehand, that the recurring need to search for hundreds and hundreds of matches or swipes before you get a match that will actually talk to you, or the you know the nasty things that happen to women on these sorts of apps where where men will sh- share a little bit too much too quickly or worse. <laughs> like, is there is there a risk of society at some point saying no we want to do something else we want to and obviously 
there's not a societal council, but like, is there a risk in your view that people will change their behavior, that they will tire of this? Or is that something we don't have to worry about too much? I don't see a cultural barrier or basically my counter to your question is that I think the horse is out of the barn already. Tinder and Facebook and all these online social interaction platforms have gotten to the point where not only are people using them, but these platforms are teaching people how to interact socially, meaning that people are now adapting their behavior to the needs and purposes of these applications. So people are modifying their Tinder profiles to make them more suitable for the types of matches that they're looking for. You can tell just by breezing through the Tinder app that this is true. Some people have very, very much placed priority on showcasing their bodies and showcasing the sort of physical aspect of a relationship. And it's clear that their priority is on physicality. You have other people who put pictures of themselves going on hikes, or you have people putting themselves interacting with their pets. And all of these send very specific social signals to the person who's receiving the images. So there's not a specific way of using this app that dictates the way that it creates value for any given user. Instead, People are sort of operating within the framework to make it work for them. And so it doesn't strike me as being a specific enough offering or non-customizable enough that people would feel hemmed in by it. Obviously, there are things around the edges that do need work, but Tinder works hard to at least to hear them talk about it, to mitigate against harassment or other negative sort of interactions. The fact that you both need to swipe right to connect with someone means that you have to, in some way, want to interact with the person. In terms of men oversharing, that's an issue, but I think that really the culture is kind of adapted to that in a way, and people are, for better or worse, kind of used to it. So I think it could be a drag on, you know, the ideal experience, but I don't think it's necessarily a deal breaker. I think it's entrenched itself in a way. At least this mode of interaction has entrenched itself. I don't know if the interaction is specific to Tinder or to match groups businesses, but I don't think people will get tired of this because they kind of grow. Now people grow up with this stuff and in this environment. So the younger people, I think that's one of the key takeaways here that I have is there's a demographic cohort that's going to be eligible for this and that it's going to constantly replenish as long as we have children and the population continues to exist and we continue to have new generations coming through. So that goes to the point of churn. People will eventually churn out of the system, but for every person that churns out, there's another person becoming eligible to use it. And in terms of, there isn't a static population of users here. That's maybe also the challenge for Match. How do they keep people interested in using this? We've seen with Snapchat, 
that user attrition can happen when competition enters the market. But I think that's what investors need to f- sort of think about more is can match deliver growth and how is it going to continue to capture people's interest and attention? We've seen a major shift in how people date and interact. Are there more major shifts to come and can match keep up with that? That's more what I'd be concerned with than are people getting sick of the app? Then also the the sort of threats are that Tinder becomes a verb and that it becomes indistinguishable from competitors. And that, yeah, as much as the generational stuff is a positive, does this... I think you've made the argument that it has embedded itself in the sort of core software of how we use the internet or how we approach the world. But in theory, you know, the kids who had an iPad from the age of three, maybe that generation, once they get to dating, will will have new options or whatever else. So I guess that technological obsolescence is always a risk, but we're stretching quite far to get to that risk. So I think from the, so yeah, I I guess that's a pretty convincing case that Tinder will and match will stick around. And so that they don't have to worry too much about. Yeah. I think you just, I would, maybe it's a flag that if you're modeling this out and you're doing a kind of DCF model that you need to model in some further CapEx down the road. Maybe they're in a good position now, but they're going to need to fend off competitors later or they're going to need to pivot to make adjustments in terms of what user expectations are uh, but that leads me I think let's get to the let's get to the valuation and talk a little bit about that the valuation is about 25 times EV EBIT 25 times EV free cash flow enterprise value to free cash flow which some people prefer that you just do the market cap but I still like to see what the debt involved is uh, 35 times PE or 34 times PE just using gap numbers. So it's, I think we've talked around it being a, a good quality business that has achieved real value for their users and has achieved a niche and is quite strong and growing fast, but you're not, it's not it's not on sale it's not it it didn't sell off heavily with the market in december it you know it it sold off because people thought that the special dividend was a sign of slower growth maybe but it's still a, been a strong performer over time and 4% free cash flow yield i mean i know bond yields seem to be fluctuating and and tilting downward if anything but for me, it doesn't stand out as a screaming opportunity. I don't know. And Detroit Bear put sort of a price target 48 to 54, which is 15 to 30% higher, which is, you know, fine. But I don't know if that's, if I would be confident with that. What about you? I think you can, I think you can, I think I could talk myself into this one. So, I talked before about how I thought that there might be sort of easy, if you believe that general population market penetration can get up to the 30% range, which I think is reasonable uh, as a 
as a base case, maybe over the next three, five years or something like that. And you also assume that, you know, that 7% subscription rate among the active users can increase by around 50% to around 10 to 12% of all users, then you get to, you know, a two and or two and a half times revenue growth in potentially a relatively short period of time. If international is growing even faster, then that's another tailwind on the sort of financials. It looks like the operating leverage is pretty strong, which means that a lot of that's going to trickle down to the bottom line, at least in the short term. And then if you have a two to two and a half times increase in EBIT or free cash flow, then you're looking at a stock that is actually closer to around a 10 times multiple right now. But that's a sort of speculative position to take. I think it, to me, it feels like this is sort of an efficiently priced stocked, that it's in the range that it should be in right now, that there are solid growth opportunities and growth prospects. Management has a good plan. Um, hard to picture too much downside. I think that would mostly result from mistakes that management makes or that would drive user attrition or some other issue. So to me, it's one you can talk yourself into, but it's, yeah, it's not obviously cheap. So I guess I'm in the same boat as you, though maybe a little bit more bullish. I can see the growth story here more easily than I have been able to for a lot of uh, the companies that we've talked about. Yeah, I'm kind of into it. Yeah, I'm a little but- into it. <laughs> okay. You, you might go for another round with, with Tinder and Matt Group to <laughs> might. consider it. I have okay. to delete well, the let's, app. All right. <laughs> <laughs> my, I told my wife I'd delete the app after we recorded the podcast, so that's what I'm going to do. But I might invest. Who knows? My wife just told me good luck and laughed at me. When I said <laughs> I might download the app. So I did not download the app. Full of disclosure, I try to keep my phone pristine. Just deleted it now. Bye, Tinder. <laughs> All right. Well, let's 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 end there. Good okay. good talk. All right. All right. Take care, Daniel. Thanks, Mike. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this Behind the Idea. We hope you enjoyed it and found it useful. You can email us at btipod at seekingalpha.com with feedback or tweet me at Daniel Seeking A or Mike at M. Brooks Taylor with comments. Subscribe to this podcast on Apple's podcast app, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or Libsyn. We appreciate your support. This has been a Seeking Alpha production. Thanks for listening, and see you next time on Behind the Idea.